Well, I also want to welcome you to Big Valley Grace Community Church here in our online campus. Excited to be together. This weekend, we have the conclusion of the series that we have been in called Blessed. And it's a series where we've been looking at the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the opening lines of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 6, 5, 6, and 7 in your Bible. And we've been looking just at these opening statements of what Jesus says at the beginning of what is really the most famous sermon really in all of history, this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives. And I want to remind us of how we started, where we began. As we started this series, uh, it's, we've been in this series for 10 weeks, and it began with a challenge. And that challenge is right here, and it is to build visible faith. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells a story about a wise man and a foolish man, and how the wise man builds his house on the rock, and the foolish man builds his house on the sand. And Jesus says, those who hear my words and put them into practice are like the wise man who builds his house firm on the rock. But those who hear my words and don't put them into practice are like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the first part of our challenge is that we might build our lives on the words of Jesus. And as we've been in this series for 10 weeks, looking at these opening statements that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount, these Beatitudes, I'm hoping that you are really sensing that you've been able to build on the words of Jesus during this 10-week series. The second part of the challenge is visible. In Matthew chapter six, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how we are the light of the world. And when you have a light, you don't hide it, but you, you put it up so that everyone can see it, that you would live very visibly for Jesus Christ. You would live visibly for God. And when you do that, when you live visibly, that people will come to faith because people will see your light, they're gonna see your good works, and then they're also gonna glorify your Father who's in heaven. And so that three-part challenge, build visible faith. And I wanna know, how's that been going for you? In this 10-week series, how has it been going for you to build visible faith? What is it that God's been doing in you? What is it that God's been doing in you to challenge you to grow as we've walked through this 10-week series? I wanna challenge you. Why don't you contact me? You can go to our website. You can find my contact right there. Why don't you contact me and let me know how you accepted the challenge to build visible faith and why don't you share a story with me of what God's been doing in you over these last 10 weeks. In Matthew chapter five, verse one, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's like being spiritually bankrupt. He then says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforting. That's being broken over our sin, being broken over the sin that we see around us. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meek means power under control, really submitting to the power and control of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In these first three beatitudes, we're, we're kind of emptied 
in, in being spiritually poor and in mourning over our sin and, and being meek power, under the power and control of God. And then we get to a place of longing and hungering and thirsting for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we are satisfied in him. And each of these beatitudes, they build on each other. And blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God begins to put the stuff of him in us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, God puts his righteousness in us. He puts his mercy in us. He puts his peace in us. He puts his purity in us. And, and when we have those things, the stuff of God in our lives, we're satisfied in it. We're satisfied. We've hungered and thirsted for him. We've longed for him. And he fills us up with the stuff of him. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As the stuff of God begins to overflow out of our lives, people around us will take notice and some will rejoice because they'll see God in us and it will be a comfort and an encouragement to them and some will reject Jesus that they see in us and then they will strike back and they'll attack Blessed are you when others revile you and they persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The life that's overflowing, the life that is truly blessed by God and overflowing for God, those who reject Jesus Christ will not take kindly to that life and they'll want to attack and strike out. But there's a response then when we get to the end of all these Beatitudes of how the believer is to respond in light of all of this, even in the overflowing of God and the rejection of others as they see Christ in us. And verse 12 explains what that is, which is what we're gonna look at together this weekend. In verse 12 it says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't know about you, but when people utter all kinds of evil against you or, or, or falsely on account of you, when, when people say things about you, say things that are, that are evil about you, is your first response rejoice and be glad? Wow, I know that often that is not my first response. When I, when I hear people say things that they revile me or they want to persecute me or they want to say things that are evil against me because I'm a follower of Jesus, it's often not my first response to rejoice and be glad. And I think the next part of the verse helps me understand why it's not my first response often because I'm not focused that my reward is great in heaven. I'm focused right on the things of earth. I'm, 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 I'm focused on the things that are happening around me, the people who are maybe saying evil against me. And so I miss the opportunity to rejoice and be glad because I am not remembering that my reward is great in heaven. And we need to be reminding each other that we've got a great reward in heaven. Our reward is Jesus Christ. We've got a great reward in Jesus Christ. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What an interesting line. So when you are persecuted, when you're rejected, when people say evil things about you, you're in great company because they did that to all the prophets who came before you. Now, what does that mean? Well, 
My wife and I, we enjoy Bay Area sports teams. And the fact I'm saying this right now, I know there's people that are gonna contact me and they're gonna, they're gonna cheer me on and there's people who are gonna contact me and they're gonna tell me my teams are horrible. But we like a good basketball game. We like watching the Golden State Warriors. We like a good football game. We want, like watching the San Francisco 49ers. We like a good hockey game. We like watching the San Jose Sharks. We like a good baseball game. We like watching the San Francisco Giants. And one of the things that's really interesting when we watch sports is they always talk about the Hall of Famers. They always talk about who's a Hall of Famer, and they always talk about who they think is a future Hall of Famer. And they'll talk about these athletes like this one, this future Hall of Famer, and they'll, they'll say it like that. This future Hall of Famer is doing this, or this future Hall of Famer is doing this. And in our society, we really celebrate people who have great athleticism. So much so that we have halls of fame that we put these athletes in. They're hall of famers. Well, if you want to see something incredible, you take your Bible and you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it's like a hall of fame, but it's like the hall of faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, it's incredible. I read this multiple times. I'd encourage you this week to just read it on your own. I read this multiple times to see these people who had incredible faith and they followed God even despite incredible difficulties. And they kept on following God. They kept on in their faith. But what really caught my attention is near the end of the chapter, it says that some were tortured and they refused to accept release from their torture so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Wow. It's an incredible group of people in the hall of faith who had very difficult circumstances, some leading to death. And as I considered that, I was challenged by the circumstances I face as they compared to those that I see in Hebrews chapter 11. But I was also encouraged because in Hebrews chapter 12, it shares out of that Hebrews chapter 11 hall of faith into a description of Jesus. And this is what it says. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the hall of faith, since the hall of faith surrounds us, since the hall of faith witness our lives, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Key phrase, looking to Jesus. What happens when we look to Jesus? Well, we find he's the founder and he's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who had joy even with the cross that was before him. He endured it with joy. 
He despised the shame of the cross, but he endured with joy the cross. And he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we look to Jesus. And I was challenged to look to Jesus. I was challenged to look to Jesus. The next verse in verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Now I'm considered to consider him that in my own struggles, whatever the own struggles that I have, whatever persecution I'm gonna face, that I, I wouldn't grow faint hearted. I wouldn't grow weary because I would consider Jesus. I would look to Jesus and I would see his joy. I would see him seated at the right hand of God. And then I would consider him as I walk through my own struggles. And in my struggle against sin, as I resist, even as I've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in that I'm not dead. I haven't died for my faith. I'm still alive, I'm still breathing. And I was really challenged as I looked at the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11 and the description of the founder and perfecter of our faith in Jesus, the challenge to look to him, to consider him. And I began to think about some examples of this. And that's what we wanna look at this week. And we wanna look at examples of others who have experienced suffering, they've experienced persecution, they've been reviled, evil's been spoken about them. They've experienced great turmoil in walking with Jesus. But we wanna look specifically at two men from the scripture and then I'm gonna give you some illustrations of present day realities. Two men experienced suffering. The, the first one is Stephen. And it's interesting what we find uh, right before we learn about Stephen in the gospel or in the book of Acts. In, in, the, in chapter five, we see that the disciples, they begin to experience uh, incredible growth in their ministry. They're, they're healing people. In chapter five, it says that when Peter walks by people with his shadow, that people are getting healed by his shadow. Amazing, miraculous stuff is happening with the apostles. The apostles are doing these miracles, confirming the ministry of the Holy Spirit confirming the birth of the church, the word of God. And as they do this, uh, it gets a lot of really negative attention. So much so that the apostles get arrested and they get beaten and they're charged and they say this after they're charged to not speak about Jesus anymore. It says that they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They left the presence of, of the trial, the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And so in this book of Acts in chapter five, we see there's great turmoil now happening. And after this great turmoil in, in chapter six, we, we are introduced to this guy named Stephen. We find out he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's given a job to do in the church. He's given a job to serve in the church. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And then we find out that he ends up getting seized in chapter six because of his ministry. And in chapter seven of the book of Acts, it is an incredible account of the history of God working with the Hebrew nation as Stephen in this big pregnant chapter just unloads the history of the nation of Israel. It's, it's fascinating to read. But when he gets to the end of it, it gets really personal because he gives an accusation to those who have him on trial. He says, you stiff-necked people, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit just like your fathers did. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? 
And they killed those announced before the coming of the righteous one, whom you, which he's talking about Jesus, which whom you now have betrayed and murdered, you've received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. So Stephen in this moment, he basically says, you're a part of those who persecuted the prophets. Remember what Jesus said? They persecuted the prophets that were before you. And Stephen in this moment is telling these religious leaders in Acts chapter seven, you're a part of it. You're a part of those who are persecuting the people of God. In that moment, this is how they respond. It says, when they heard these things, they were enraged in verse 54, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and he sees the glory of God. And so these people are really ticked off right now. And Stephen's full of the Holy Spirit and he's looking into heaven and he's seeing God's glory and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said out loud before the council, he says, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of of man standing at the right hand of God. He's saying, I see Jesus right now in heaven. I can see Jesus right now in heaven. And they are so upset. It says they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears and they rushed it together. And they think he's blaspheming. They think he's just making stuff up. They're so upset with Stephen because he's testifying to Jesus Christ. It says they cast him out of the city and they stoned him because he was testifying to Jesus Christ. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who became Paul, the apostle Paul. Saul was right there witnessing Stephen being stoned to death. It says, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When I read this this week many times, I wondered what would I be saying in this moment if I were being stoned, if I were being persecuted, if I was cast out of the city and there was an angry mob throwing rocks at me, what would be the words that come out of my mouth? Because I see the words that come out of his mouth and I am challenged. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord do not hold this sin against them. What a testimony to the grace of God that while Stephen is being stoned to death, the grace of God is caring for him in such a way to where he's able to have peace and communication with God. Lord, receive my spirit. And he's able to offer forgiveness to the people who are stoning him in that very moment. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I was so challenged. It says when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. I was so challenged looking at the life of Stephen. You know, I want to encourage you to check out a resource. It's called Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs, you can find it at persecution.com. Persecution.com, or you can just Google Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs was started by a man named Richard Wombrandt. And Richard was caught for Jesus Christ in a communist Romania. And for three years, he sat alone in a prison cell 30 feet below the ground. And in that dark, lonely prison cell, he cried out to God. 
and he dreamed about starting a ministry that would serve Christians in communist countries, and God heard his prayer. Several years later, Richard and his family, they were ransomed out of Romania for $10,000, which at that moment was a pretty high price paid for a political prisoner. And within days of being freed from Romanian prison and arriving in the West, he wrote his best-selling book. It's called Tortured for Christ. I have the book. It's an incredible read. Tortured for Christ. After he wrote this book, he founded a, a mission. And it was called Jesus to the Communist World. And it later became known as the Voice of the Martyrs. And I would challenge you to go on to persecution.com and to sign up and to receive this magazine. They'll send it to you. As I go through the message this week, and I'm going to refer to a few different incredible stories of those who were persecuted. But Stephen's an incredible example out of the scriptures and how the grace of God comes into that moment to care for him. The second man we want to look at is a man named Demas. This is man number two. Man number one was Stephen. Man number two is Demas. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Demas, but what we do know about Demas is enough to know who he was with and what he chose to do with that. In Colossians chapter four, verse 14, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. In the, in the book of Acts, Luke is writing the book of Acts, but we see in the book of Acts that Luke actually shows up as present in the story in the middle of the book of Acts, and Luke starts to say, we, we, we did this, we did that, before it's they did that. Well, Luke was with the apostles at, in the missionary journey, in the missionary journeys, and he was a physician, and he was writing down the accounts of what was taking place. And at some moment, Demas is now with them, and we know that he was with them when they ministered in to the Colossians. Because now in this letter to the Colossians, we see that Demas's name is there associated with Luke. That as Paul writes to these Christians, hey, Demas greets you. Demas greets you. So we know that Demas has been a part of some pretty significant ministry. In Philemon, verses 23 and 24, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristocrus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And so here, Demas' name is now listed in a pretty big group of people. To, and this letter right here is to a specific person. And he's listed as uh, a group of people that Paul is working with that he calls his fellow workers. So not only to a city, a church in a city is he mentioned, but now this letter to an individual he's mentioned, and both times it's pretty clear Demas is ministering with Paul. Now I want to share with you a little bit about what Paul experienced so you can understand the environment that Demas was exposed to. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says that his ministry was difficult uh, he says, I had far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, in danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of all my anxiety for the churches. That's what it was like to be a fellow worker with Paul. That's what it was like for Luke. That's what it was like for Mark. That's what it was like for Demas. It was hard. Ministry, traveling with Paul was difficult. It was hard. Now, the third time Demas' name is mentioned in Scripture, we find out something really heartbreaking. And it's in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. It says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Things are hard. Things are difficult. Paul just lists off all these troubles, all these hardships. And at some moment... Demas makes a choice and he makes a choice and it's a value judgment. And it is, do I value this ministry with Paul, even though it's hard? Or do I value the world and what the world has to offer? And from this verse right here, we see Demas made a choice. And that is in love with this present world, he deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Paul is saying he didn't value what we had in our ministry. He didn't value Christ. He didn't value our ministry as much as he valued what the world had to offer. And he chose to desert the ministry, desert you know, me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. And basically that would have been like saying he went to go to Sin City. He went to go party. He went to go to Sin City. He went to go party. He went to go find the things that the world has to offer. And he deserts. When things get difficult, there's a choice that we have to make. We have to make a choice when things get hard. Let me tell you about a man named Kabir. Kabir is in this magazine here. Kabir also had a choice. You see, what happened to Kabir is he is one day on a bus with his family. And as he's traveling on that bus, he's pulled off of the bus, he's captured, and he's beaten. And as his captors are beating him, they begin to videotape him because they want to see if he'll recant his faith in Jesus Christ, and he refused to do it. And he over and over said, I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. And they kept beating him. They, they yelled at him, hey, you're supposed to be a Hindu. Stop being a Christian. You're telling everybody about Jesus. Stop it. Cut it out. And they keep beating him. He pays a huge price. He ends up getting so injured that he loses hearing in one of his ears. When he gets done being beaten and he's now to safety, this is what he said. God has spared my life so that I will forgive them. Kabir thought, I will not go to the police station. I will not get any case on them. What I'm doing presently, I am going to do double work for the Lord. This man right here, after being beaten for his faith, loses his hearing and he says, 
I'm, whatever I was doing for Jesus, I'm gonna do twice that much now. I'm gonna do double the work for the Lord. He had a choice to make. It was, got hard, it got difficult, and he made the choice. I'm gonna keep following Jesus. We got two choices that I wanna challenge us with as we prepare for suffering. Two choices. And when we have these two choices, we shouldn't be surprised that suffering is gonna come. In 1 Peter 4, 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. You have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Another man from this magazine was named Minjay. And Minjay was, uh, he was, he's a man from North Korea. And on a business trip to China, he experiences Christ and he comes to faith in Jesus. And as he's heading back to North Korea, someone from China challenges him, will you smuggle Bibles into North Korea? And over great trepidation and worry and anxiety, he comes to the decision where he's going to become a Bible smuggler into North Korea. And as the Bibles show up months later, and he gets these Bibles in, a, in big duffel bags full of blue jeans, 10 North Korean Bibles, and he takes these Bibles, and he says, I wonder what I'm going to do with them. And so he holds on to them for months. And one day as he's walking through town, he hears somebody whistling a tune and it's a Christian song that he had learned when he came to faith in Christ in China. And he's here in North Korea, he hears this Christian song being whistled and he follows this person secretly to find out where they live so they won't see him following him. And later on he comes and he takes eight of those Bibles wrapped in blue jeans and he leaves them on the doorstep of that person's house. And he never tells that person that he's the one who did it. Well, Time goes on, he ends up being in prison for being a Bible smuggler, and he ends up being in prison with the family that he gave those Bibles to, and he didn't know it. As he hears them recount, these eight Bibles showed up in blue jeans on our doorstep, and they tell him that 27 people in their family came to know Jesus Christ because of those eight Bibles that were wrapped in blue jeans that were laid on the doorstep. Now he ends up being imprisoned and all 27 of those people ended up being imprisoned. Everyone in that story ended up being imprisoned. They all paid a price for being associated with Jesus Christ. But Minjay, he continues to decide to follow Jesus. He continues to decide to follow Jesus and to bring people copies of the word of God in one of the harshest places on earth for Christianity in North Korea. Choice number one I wanna challenge you to make is to treasure Jesus. You know, the reward of heaven belongs to the citizens of heaven. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to realize what you have in Christ. Remember, it's, he said, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives this challenge in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. 
In other words, there's a, there's a better reward than anything you find here, and it's in heaven. So focus there, focus on the things that have heavenly value. You know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26 says this about Moses. When Moses considered being, uh, you know, Pharaoh's son and all the treasures of Egypt, it says that he thought that reproach for Jesus Christ, persecution for Jesus Christ was greater than the treasures of Egypt. Think about this. When Satan tempted Jesus as Jesus began his earthly ministry and Satan took Jesus up onto a high mountain to see all the kingdoms of the world and Satan basically says, you can have all the kingdoms of this world if you'll bow down and worship me. In that moment, Jesus makes a choice and the choice he makes is the kingdoms of this world are less than the kingdom of heaven. The kingdoms of this world are less than the kingdom of heaven. Moses says reproach for Christ is greater than the treasures of Egypt. And Jesus says the kingdoms of this world are less than the kingdom of heaven. There's a choice to make. And that is to treasure Jesus. To treasure Jesus. Choice number two is to then share your treasure. And this is citizens of heaven seeking to win residents of earth for Jesus Christ share with you about another man. His name is Peter. Peter actually works for Voice of the Martyrs. And Peter was on a trip to Sudan. He was there for four days to minister to some Sudanese pastors. And during those four days, when he gets to the airport to leave Sudan, he finds out that he had been, uh, he had been followed all four of those days. People were finding out what he was doing. They were taking pictures of him. They were seeing who he was meeting with because they knew he was a Christian and they knew he was talking with pastors. So he never gets out of the airport. He ends up getting imprisoned. As Peter finds himself in prison, he finds himself in a cell with six members of ISIS. On the first morning that he was there, these six people, they asked about news from the outside world. He says, I began to tell them about the recent attacks by the self-proclaimed Islamic State, ISIS, that had killed 129 people in Paris. And they jumped through their feet and they began shouting, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allah is great, Allah is great. Their joy at hearing this news shocked and frightened me. So I decided not to share any further information with them. This article goes on to, to share, you can read it online. It goes on to share about how they began to beat him. They began to insult him. They began to sharpen things to slice him. They began to collect water, to waterboard him. And right before they were gonna kill him, a guard comes in, sees what they're gonna do and rescues Peter out. Just escaping death from these six members of ISIS. The reason why Peter got placed in jail is because he went to Sudan to share his treasure. He made a choice. He went to go share his treasure, to go encourage the pastors, the Sudanese pastors. He ended up paying a really high price, now being in a cell with members of ISIS who beat and tortured him. In Matthew chapter six, verse 21, Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You might wonder, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody wanna follow Jesus? Why would anybody wanna end up in these scenarios where they're gonna get hurt, beaten? I just wanna tell you, it's because they treasure Jesus. 
They treasure Jesus. People do great things for Jesus only because they treasure Jesus. Because they treasure Jesus and then they want to share that treasure with others. You know, Paul, he writes to the Corinthians in chapter 9. Read this a bunch this week. He talks about all the things he did so that he might win people to Christ. To the Jews, he became like a Jew. To the Gentiles, he became like the Gentiles. To the weak, he became weak. He he did all these things. Why? Because he wanted people to come to know Jesus. He treasured Jesus and he wanted to share his treasure. In the back of this magazine is an an interesting uh, poster. Share it with you. On one side of it is this big picture of all these people and it basically says, you know, they want to put a Bible in the hands of every believer in persecuted countries. That's, that's the goal of Voice of the Martyrs. They want to put a Bible in the hands of every believer in these persecuted, com- in, in these persecuted countries. And then also it, on, the, on the back of it has a, a map. And all the dark places on this map are where, it is, where, where they're hostile to Christianity, where you can be killed for being a Christian. And this ministry is really focused on those hardest places those places where it's most difficult to be a Christian, it's most difficult to get Bibles into. And the reason they are doing this is because they treasure Jesus. They treasure Jesus and they look at all the dark places on this map and they don't say those are the places we're gonna avoid. They look at all the dark places on the map and they say that's exactly where we wanna go because we wanna share our treasure. We treasure Jesus so much, we wanna share him even in the most difficult places on earth. And it makes me think about just simply, where are we located? Where are we located? What's it like where we're located? What are the obstacles that are in front of us? Where has God placed us for him? And how are we right where we are treasuring Jesus? And how are we right where we are sharing the treasure of Jesus. Maybe it's in our home, maybe it's in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in the marketplace, in relationships, maybe it's at school. Treasuring Jesus and sharing our treasure. I wanna remind you of what Matthew chapter five, verse 12 says. And this is the very last line of the section of the Beatitudes. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Today is a great day to rejoice and be glad in Jesus. Father God, Lord, we love you. And Father, we want to honor you with our lives. And so God, help us. Help us to make the choice to treasure you. Help us to make the choice to share our treasure. That we might not be surprised when persecution comes our way. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's family said, amen.